Welcome to episode number 209 of the Lions Podcast. My name is Matt Brown. Steven Andrus joins me, and we are going to talk some NFL draft. We're going to talk some Major League Baseball, some NFL, I mean, some NBA playoffs. We'll talk a little bit of golf as well as always. Everything we do absolutely free. So if you're watching us on the YouTube channel, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. If you're Taking this in from the audio-only version, subscribe, rate, review. We really do appreciate that as well. And, of course, head over to the lines, join that Discord, hop in there with us, chatting all the different types of sports, getting all the different types of picks that people are putting in. So uh, be sure and do that as well. Steven, let's kick things off here with the NFL Draft. We are uh, just a week away from that happening down the street from me here in Las Vegas. It is already causing all kinds of havoc all kinds of trouble for me. Uh, traffic, they're having to build the stage on the Bellagio Fountains. They're closing lanes on the Strip. It is uh, impossible to navigate, but hey, it is going to be a fun time here. We have seen, if you go over, especially at DraftKings, they have a massive uh, menu out there right now of different props that you can bet for this thing. Um, and what we have seen is Aiden Hutchinson's number to go the number one pick overall has plummeted. He's plummeted at all the different books, and you can kind of find him in the minus 175 to minus 200 range right now to be the number one overall pick. Trayvon Walker picking up a ton of steam here as we approach, you know, about, again, about eight days out from the draft going live here. You said right before we started recording, so I'm interested to hear your thoughts, that you don't believe Aiden Hutchinson is going to be the number one overall pick. I can only assume that that means you think it's going to be Trayvon Walker. I'm not necessarily convinced of that either, um, but I think it's probably one of those two. And first thing I'll kind of mention off the top here is that uh, you and I have talked about this in the past when it comes to betting the NFL draft. I think one of the first things that people should keep in mind is, you know, our personal opinions of the players and how good they are don't mean shit. Yeah, like, it literally matter. throw it out. We're not, it doesn't we're matter. not talent evaluators. And even if we were, it wouldn't matter anyway, because all it matters is what the GM of the team thinks. Right. And I'll take that a step further. All of the mock drafts from early in draft season after the Super Bowl that pegged Aiden Hutchinson as the number one prospect and had led to all the money going into this market to make him at one point minus 300 to be the number one pick also don't mean shit either, in my opinion. So when he was a 75% probability to be the number one pick, that was being built off of basically groupthink and mass consensus of mock drafts. Now, as we get closer to the NFL draft, that's when we start seeing reporting and anonymous sourcing from these teams, and in this case, the Jacksonville Jaguars. And the most recent reports from NFL insiders are twofold. One, that Trent Baalke likes Trayvon Walker and all of his athletic ability, the comp that you've, I'm sure you've heard at this point, if you've been following the NFL draft is Alden Smith and his athletic freakiness when bulky was the GM for the 49ers. But there's also another element here with the new head coach, Doug Peterson kind of having a tug of war uh, lobbying, whatever word you want to use to use that pick on an offensive player. In fact, one of the anonymous reports said it was from another coach in the AFC. I think it was Matt Lombardo that re reported this, that it's the worst kept secret 
among coaches that Doug Peterson wants to use the number one pick on an offensive player, most likely an offensive tackle. So I've spread my bet on the number one pick between one unit, basically, you know, the majority of that unit on um, on Trayvon Walker at plus 350. He's shorter than that now, but I still think there's value. And I also sprinkled a little bit on Aquanu to be the number one pick at around 12 to 1 in the event that Doug Peterson, the new head coach over a failed GM, wins out in, in getting the owner to go with that pick with the offensive lineman. So I'm not sure which it's going to be, but I don't think any insider sourcing is what led to this Aiden Hutchinson price of of a odds on favorite to be the number one pick. Yeah, I, I have a, a Quanu ticket, but that was before free agency. Um, so I, I have I have an Aquanu ticket. I, I don't think it was mock drafts at all. I think it was just the way that free agency played out for the Jags. And so that that naturally led people to a defensive player. They franchise tag Cam Robinson. They signed Scherf. That's two offensive linemen that they put in on big contracts and so whenever you do that you think you know naturally you're not going to put all of your resources just just on the offensive line right and so they're the the natural thinking was that okay well then they would take the the number one overall player which at, at the time and I, I still most most people out there Aiden Hutchinson's at the top of their board I mean there are some people who are coming out now in, in favor of Trayvon Walker but pretty much consensus across the board Aiden Hutchinson has been the number one player in the draft the entire the entire process here sure so um you know for I most have a people, big ticket maybe not yeah. Trent Baalke though maybe yeah. not Trent Baalke it's true. I, I have a big ticket on Hutchinson. Um, I still think he's number one. I mean, look, we're in draft season right now where you have to just understand that um, we're eight days out. People are going to say and do and whatever they can to get you to click on their site or listen to their commentary or whatever. I mean, Mel Kuyper's even doing it now. His latest mock draft had Sauce Gardner going number two overall and, you know, stuff like that. I mean, this is that season where people are trying to get attention to their to their either entity or their draft or their commentary or their podcast or whatever it might be. Uh, when it's all said and done, it would shock me if they went offensive lineman after doing what they did in the offseason at the offensive line position, it would not shock me if they went with Trayvon Walker, but then it would be the it would be the largest and fastest rising defensive player we've ever seen in the history of the of the NFL draft. Now we have seen quarterbacks that have gone kind of from out of nowhere to the number one overall pick. Let's, you know, a la Joe Burrow just as recently as as a few years ago. We have seen uh, wide receivers kind of come from out of nowhere to go very, very high in the draft. John Ross, for example, could be another guy that you could kind of look at that was a consensus kind of bottom of the first round, beginning of the second round ends up ends up going way up high. Um, but as far as defensive guys, we just don't see guys rocket out of, I mean, the original big boards that came out and, you know, listen, you're allowed to change your mind and certainly you're allowed to watch a guy's tape and and change your mind as well. But the original big boards that came out, I mean, Trayvon Walker was down in the sixties range, right? Like he was like well out of the the first round and, and almost out of the second round as far as just, you know, being evaluated on talent and nothing but talent alone. And he wasn't even on the board to be an option for the number one pick at DraftKings. Yeah. And I don't, and I think he was like 35 to one when he first hit the board at BetMGM. Yeah. So it's a, you know, it, again, it's a, it's interesting to me. I still think it's going to be Hutchinson. Um, I might hedge just a tad because I have so much money on Hutchinson to to take um, 
to take him to go like exactly the number two pick because again, if he doesn't go one overall, Detroit's going to run to the. Oh yeah, that would be a lock. Yeah. If he doesn't go one, he's yeah. going two. Yeah, so Detroit would run to the podium and get him uh, with not only just for the the fact that he played at Michigan and their Detroit and all this stuff like that, but again, I I I think that they would love the fact that he was there at two um, to get a guy Matt, that I can guess- start on their defensive line for the next ten years. Matt, I guess I could sum up my opinion on this just based on on numerical values here, because mm-hmm. I, you and I differ in terms of the probability of, of what we think Hutchinson will be the number one pick. The odds are suggesting to me at the moment that he's like a 65 percent chance to be the number one pick. I just don't think he's even a 50 percent chance to be the number one pick now. So I'm, I'm trying to get a little bit of value on a longer shot after that. You obviously have a different opinion. Um, if if I thought he was like a 50% chance to be the number one pick, then then I might still dabble a little bit and take a little bit of a worse price. So uh, this just comes down to numbers for me for the most part. Yeah, and and again, you know, look, the good thing about the draft is, is you can kind of like not necessarily live fun. trade this, but but you can you can certainly get in and then hedge off of a position to where to make sure that you you make some money and this that and the other. So there there's a lot of different ways that you can go about it. I, I do have a, a decent amount of of bets. Um, we'll do a full on draft uh, podcast at the beginning of next week where we just reveal all of our bets and everything that we're looking at here. But one of the ones I did want to point out here, and and Stephen, this could send things into a tailspin because of the reports that we've gotten in the over the last twenty four hours, which is that Debo Samuel and Terry McLaurin, and um, who's the who's the who's the third? It's um, it's AJ Debo Brown. Samuel and AJ Brown. All are disgruntled. All want new contracts. And all will not be participating in off-season workouts because of their gruntleness that they have going on <laughs> right now. And so this could definitely mess everything up. But, I mean, you can go in and if you click at DraftKings, it's called Team Draft Specials. If you click on that tab, you can go to NFC North. You can go down to um, you can go down the Green Bay Packers and exact position of first drafted player. Um, why they're, they're drafting a wide receiver. They have to, there's no choice. I mean, they, they, the free agent market is dried up. There's, they're drafting a wide receiver. Like it's, that's just going to happen. Um, the problem this with this being Steven, it's like I said is, Oh, I don't know. Maybe 48 hours before the draft, they decide to trade for one of these three disgruntled receivers. And then it just spirals everything out of control. And that's something as gamblers, we just kind of have to deal with. Right. I mean, weird things can happen, can can derail, you know, our position on things and can derail bets with with all this. I got in on uh, this one. The juice has run a little bit now. Actually, a, a lot of it. It was it, it. This thing opened maybe one of the best best bets I've I've seen in the draft this year um, as minus 120 on them to take a receiver. It's now sitting at 160-ish over there. But again, they have a couple of picks in the first draft, Stephen. Yes, I guess in theory, they could take you know, a defensive player or whatever they want to do with that first pick and then take a wide receiver with the second pick. I think if anything, they... They take the best receiver on the board with that first pick to make sure that they get the guy that they want, or they package those two picks to move up to get the single receiver that they want the most in this draft. Um, Again, 
caveat being they could trade for one of these three receivers that apparently wants either a contractor to get out of town. So um, love, 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 love the Packers taking a receiver because they have nothing. The cupboard is bare. If they do not please Aaron Rodgers right here, it is it, it, he might he might go and burn Lambeau down or something. So uh, Packers to take a wide receiver with their first pick is maybe the best bet I have in my account right now. Uh, I I agree with you up until the point it gets the minus money just because of that concern that they could wait to use their later first round pick on a wide receiver. Um, if, if they are of the opinion that at that point, all of these receivers are basically interchangeable, but I don't know what, what their opinion is on that. I, I have a similar bet as well on the Atlanta Falcons to take a wide receiver with their first pick at eighth overall at plus 150. I mean, just like the Packers there, I mean, at least the Packers have Alan Lazard and, and some history there and Rodgers there. Like the top of the Falcons wide receiver depth chart right now is like Zacchaeus and Demir Bird and Alden Tate. Like they sh- they're not even like wide receiver fours on most teams. So, um, you know, I got plus 150 on the Falcons to take a wide receiver. I don't see them trading a pick that high for one of these other receivers that are disgruntled and are going to command 20 to 25 million dollars mm-hmm. a year. And I think Daniel Jeremiah recently made a really good point about the economics of receivers now and the fact that it's kind of turning into a quarterback situation as well, where you take your shots on the position in the first round, knowing that by the second contract, if they're really good. Good, and if they're the prospect you think they are, they're going to be twenty to twenty-five million dollars a year. Where you're getting them at like a quarter, a fifth of that per year on their rookie contract, like a Justin Jefferson yeah. or a Debo Samuels. So the money comes into play now, where it absolutely is worth taking your shot at that position. Um, along the same lines as the traditional value positions we've seen, like quarterback, edge rusher cornerback and offensive tackle. So I think wide receivers in that mix as well. And it wouldn't shock me if, you know, there's heavy juice on wide receiver over five and a half. I don't think there's any doubt that we're going to see at least six, but I'd even be curious at like, um, you know, a six number. I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if we see seven wide receivers in this first round uh, with the combination of the contract situation for these veterans and also the needy teams in this particular draft. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it's a passing league, right? And so you you basically have to have you have to have a pass catcher. You have to have well, first and foremost, you have to have a quarterback. But you have to have a quarterback. But you have to have pass catchers. You need to have guys who can defend those pass catchers. You need to have guys that can rush that quarterback, and you need to have guys that can protect that quarterback. And that's basically everything that drafts are about these days. That's basically everything that, that major free agent moves are about these days is, is one of those kind of five positions is the quarterback protecting the quarterback and someone, the quarterback to throw to, and then defending the wide receiver and rushing the quarterback. Those are the positions that everyone really focuses on what that did to me um, so I just kind of went about it a little bit different than you. I took a flyer on Jamison Williams to be the number one wide receiver taken nah, so with, did the, I. with the same thought that he could go to the Falcons there at eight, because here's the thing. The Falcons are not in win now mode and they have right. to know that. So the fact that Jamison Williams isn't going to be able to play until October or November shouldn't matter to them at all, like because they're not going to win now anyway. If the upside for Jamison Williams, which again, I'm not a talent evaluator. I'm just listening to what talent evaluators say. If the upside 
of Jamison Williams is Tyreek Hill and maybe more than Tyreek Hill, then if you're the Falcons, it behooves you to take him as opposed to one of these other guys that are more, yeah, might be more solid, but they are certainly upside. We know for, for the majority of these wide receivers, like, there's nobody who's losing their mind over Garrett Wilson or Drake London or Chris Olave or any of these guys like, but Jamison Williams is the one name that you hear from these guys who do this for a living. These talent evaluators who say, no, no, no. The upside for Jamison Williams is legitimately a top five to 10 wide receiver in all of the NFL. And so if that's the case and you're the Falcons and you're drafting there, what good does taking Drake London do or Garrett Wilson where their upside's capped and you're not going to win this year anyway? Take the guy whose upside is unlimited and 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 just who cares if he doesn't play until October or November because you're not winning this year anyway. Yeah, I, I go back to what I said at the, at the top of the podcast. My my personal opinion, mock drafters' personal opinions don't mean shit when it comes to betting the NFL draft. And in this case, just to drive your point home, Matt, the the consensus from from what gets my attention is when I hear, well, teams have a player here, or teams think of this class like this. That's what gets my attention. And from everything I've heard, is what you're saying that this is a deep wide receiver class. But there's not necessarily a top end guy like we saw with Jamar Chase or Jalen Waddell uh, last year. So with that being said, what we've heard from these team sources and scouts and anonymous coaches is that there's not a consensus on who the number one wide receiver is in this class. The Falcons might Mm -hmm. have a different wide receiver on top of their board than the New York Jets and the Dallas Cowboys might have a different wide receiver on top of their board than the Green Bay Packers and the Kansas City Chiefs. So, but what has been a common theme is that for the most part, everybody had Jamison Williams as the number one wide receiver in this class before he tore his ACL. And teams don't aren't as concerned as much about ACL recoveries as they were maybe 10 years ago. So for a team like you said, the Falcons that have no dreams of being a Super Bowl contender this year, who cares if he's not going to be at 100 percent until November? If he was your number one wide receiver on your board uh, pretty easily before he got hurt. And that's why I also bet him to be the number one wide receiver on the board. We've seen that shorten from, I think, like plus 700 a couple of weeks ago, down all the way now to plus 200 at this point. So um, the one name when Daniel Jeremiah comes out with his final mock draft, he's pretty in tune with the New York Jets. If he has the Jets using that number four pick on a wide receiver, you sh- everybody should very much pay attention to not only that it's a wide receiver, but also who it is. The Zurich Classic is an interesting tournament. Listen, some people hate it from a betting betting aspect. I get it. It's very hard to handicap. It's almost impossible to model. There are a lot of people who model. There are a lot of people who like to really dig into that type of stuff. Us being a couple of those people. That said, I am okay with breaking up the monotony on tour. I am okay with trying to draw new fans in who might think that this is a cool deal. And so they might tune in and and take a look. And of course, look, from a player standpoint for the players, that's why this field is so star studded. 
they get to go down to New Orleans for a week. They get to party down there after all the pressures of the Masters and things like that and and let loose for a little bit before they head into the second major of the year. So I am I am okay with this tournament. I know a lot there's a lot of people who hate it. Uh, I don't know where you stand on it, but uh, it, you know, yes, from a betting standpoint, is it is at least a little difficult to handicap. For sure. I, here's where I stand on it. I usually put three units on outrights to try and hit like 20 plus units each week on a golf tournament. I'm I'm not doing that this week. Like this is mm-hmm. this is for fun, for entertainment for me, because I, I can't really model this field this week with pairs and the, and the scoring format and the play format where it's best ball on rounds one and three and then alternate shot in rounds two and four. And if so, you're unaware uh, of what that means, just real quick, uh, best yeah. ball on the on Thursday. Thursday and Saturday, both guys play their own ball, but the best score is what the team marks down on the card. So if me and Steven were a team, we're both playing the entire hole. If I bogey it and, and Steven pars it, then we made a par for the hole. So that's how that right. works on Thursday and Saturday. And then on Friday and Sunday, they actually alternate shots. So I would tee off, then Steven would hit the second, then I would hit the third, et cetera, et cetera. So they actually do alternate shots on Friday and Sunday as well. So not only is it a team event, which is different different in the first place, but they're playing two different formats throughout the course of the tournament. Right. So last year, the winners, Cam Smith and Mark Leishman shot 18 under combined on the best ball days and only two under on the alternate shot days. So you have to go really low on those days. And there's really no way to like try and figure out how that's possible other than maybe looking at some some birdie or better guys and realizing that their volatility, if their volatility is probably why they haven't won regular stroke play tournaments, but if they're making yeah. a lot of birdies. That's going to come in handy in this where they can make triple bogey and still have a birdie potentially on their card for their team. So, um, you know, I, I'm just taking a couple of stabs here. The the one that stood out to me uh, in terms of down the board, uh, I did bet Adam Hadwin and Adam Svensson, the Canadian Adams family at 66 to one. Uh, that has shortened a little bit, I think, even as, as short as 40 to one at a lot of books. Um, but along those lines, great ball strikers, makes a lot of birdies, uh, Svensson's volatile though. That's why he hasn't won a tournament, but that might be neutralized in a tournament like this. And then at the top of the board, I, I don't know what you think, Matt. I mean, I don't know how I'm going to separate this, the, the top of this board. These are all great teams, a combination of just awesome, talented golfers like Colin Morikawa and Victor Hovland pairing up. That's why they're the rightful favorites, but also some other guys that are very talented and teamed up with lesser known guys who have played well in this tournament. So uh, I'm kind of intrigued by the hottest player since Tiger Woods, Scotty Scheffler, yeah. being the fourth choice on this board with Ryan Palmer, a guy who's had success in this tournament. We're not going to see Scotty Scheffler as the fourth choice on a board for the rest of the season. I joined you in the Hadwin and Svensson team. That's the longest actually um, team that I have in my account for this tournament. But the reason that you mentioned the thing about Svensson is what is what actually why I like the team and what I what intrigues me about this. I just want people who go out there and score and I don't really care about all the other stuff because, again, you win and lose this tournament on the best ball days. And so. If you look over the last 36 rounds, Adam Svensson is 22nd in this entire field. By the way, so there's only 80 runners 
technically because it's two teams, you know, there's teams of, of two guys, but that means there's 160 golfers actually in the field. I mean, it's only 80 in total because, you know, a team is, is one entity, 33 in ties or what move on, on the cut line. But he is 22nd out of 160 golfers in this tournament in birdie or better gained, but he is 144th in bogey avoidance. Well, guess what? I don't care if you can make three straight birdies and then you go bogey three straight when you have Adam Hadwin as your partner, who is a steady Eddie guy who's so yes, go make your birdies. If you, if you blow up a couple of holes, who cares? We don't, it doesn't matter to me. So I actually embrace the volatility with uh, the, the the Hadwin Svensson team. So I love that team. That is one of my favorite bets that I have in the account here uh, because of the volatility and with a good all top of that. 22, considering how far they are down the board, probably a good top 20 or top 10 bet as well. The shortest shot I put in the account, no shocker here, uh, Sam Burns, Billy Horschel. Uh, if you look at, again, I went in, and so I didn't model this, like I said, Stephen. I just took, so I just took the tournament ball striking Par five scoring, opportunities gained, birdie or better gained, bogey avoidance, because I just wanted to see who these volatile guys were. So who, these guys that make a lot of bogeys, essentially, and and a little bit of, and, and driving distance, because I do think um, what well, I, I don't think I know it's been very wet down there. It's a fairly long course as it is anyway. It's 7,425 yards. And so you're not going to get any run out. You're not going to get whatever. So any extra distance you can get, especially if you're going to be playing these alternate shot days, uh, could certainly be of benefit to these teams. And so I did put that as something I was looking at as well. And then I didn't run a model. I just went in and kind of compared where these guys stack up in the field comparatively to everybody else kind of took like the lowest score, the lowest two scores and kind of threw it out and then built some teams all together. And this Burns Horschel team, not to mention current form for Billy Horschel, who, by the way, under the radar has been playing some really, really great golf here of late. Um, I understand it's a short team here, but they are birdie makers. They are, they are actually, they do everything well in this tournament. So I, I love that team. It would not surprise me in the least bit to see Billy Horschel and, and Sam Burns take this thing down. Yeah, they played well in it last year, too. They finished mm-hmm. T4. They were two shots back of the winning score. So they should absolutely contend this week. I don't hate the pick at all. And it's Bermuda Greens and Sam Bermuda Burns is is on the team. So can't go wrong with that. Last thing I'll just mention is um, mm-hmm. our, our golf writer, John Hasselbauer, put a nice little chart for everybody as well in his tournament preview. Uh, you can find it by just going to the the drop down on the homepage of the lines.com under odds under golf. You'll see John Hasselbauer. For a Zurich preview, he's got a nice little chart at the bottom. Strokes gained total plus birdies are better gained over the last 36 rounds and a ranking for the team average for each of the pairings in this tournament. Uh, just another resource that you guys can use to kind of try and navigate and figure out how to approach this, this wacky, fun little tournament. <laughs> the rest of my card, I took the uh, Joaquin Neiman, Mito Pereira team together. I think Mito Pereira, and I think you're of the same boat, I, th- I think Mito Pereira is going to end up being a multiple time champion on tour. I think he has all the skills. He just hadn't been able to put it together for four rounds. Well, this is a team tournament, so he can rely on Joaquin Neiman, who has been one of the more steady and better players over the last 18 months on tour as well. I uh, really do like that team and the skill set that they bring together. Will Zalatoris and Davis Riley, another team that I have in my account. I think Davis Riley is another guy that 
is probably going to find the winner's circle multiple times. He just hasn't quite put everything together yet. But again, we don't need him to put everything together yet. He's one of the longer guys out there. He's inside the top 25 in driving distance, so that's going to help this team. He's inside the top 25 in birdie or betters gained. That's what I'm looking for for these like guys that are – he gives himself opportunities as well. So uh, I don't need to tell you about Will Zalatoris and how awesome he's been since he came on tour. So I'll save all that. But, yes, the Zalatoris-Riley team is also in the account. As well, the only other team that's not in there yet, Stephen, that might end up before they tee everything off is the Schwartzel Bazudenhut team. Um, Schwartzel has been playing under the radar really, really, really good golf of late. And I think, you know, again, it's, it's the same pattern that I have with some of these other guys. I think Christian Bazudenhout is a guy that is going to end up finding the winner's circle uh, uh, mo- multiple times over the course of his career. I think he's just way, way, way too talented to not win some of these tournaments that he has competed in, but then had one clunker of a round and he kind of just keeps finding himself sitting in that mid twenties type range or something like that. So those are the teams I'm looking at here. And, and as I mentioned, um, it's a uh, it's a fun tournament, fun format, and since there's only 80 runners in this thing, I mean you're getting you're getting some of these guys at 50, 55, 60 ish to one in in a in a field that's only 80 deep. I think there's yeah. some decent value. No, I agree with you, and we need we need an official ruling on on. Because in, in five seconds you said Bazudenhut and then Bazudenhout. I do it all the I time because. Bazoot- I don't, what I, is do, it? I don't know. I, I, no, no. That's the thing is I do that on purpose because then I can't be wrong. There you go. Yeah. I, yeah. I thought I was going to say Bazoot and Hoyt. Like Bazo- oh, well, if you do that, then we, none of, then we certainly can't be wrong. Then, uh, you know, if we get three <laughs> different pronunciations of it, then we've, we've nailed it. Nailed it. Nailed it. Don't worry about us. We're just sitting over here nailing everything. So, yeah, it's a South Africa, I think, has like five official languages. And I feel like his last name has every one of them in it. Yeah, I mean, seriously, it's 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 unbelievable. But I do like that team um, as well. Schwartzel in really, really good form. And then uh, and then, as we said, uh, we'll just call him the hoot. Uh, the hoot is uh, is a guy that I think is 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 poised for some big things on the uh, on the tour. So real quick, Stephen, you'll have tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of coverage for the Kentucky Derby. But I did at least want to, one, remind people that it's not that far away and two, give you uh, uh, about 90 seconds here to kind of talk about one, what we already know and two, what we can expect from content uh, over on the lines. Sure. Just posted another uh, article on the site this morning on Wednesday morning, just with the finalized list of invites for the Kentucky Derby. So it's the final point standings. Um, So each of those horses in the top 20 have the right of first refusal to be in the field. You'll also find at the bottom from Dave Bontempo, the horses that posted the best buyer speed figures during prep season. And that's important Mm -hmm. because it is a metric that tells you which horses perform the best, no matter what the track condition was, no matter what the weather was, no matter um, you know what type of surface they ran on, whether it was pure dirt or synthetic. So that's an important metric to keep in mind because 10 of the previous 12 Kentucky Derby winners posted a triple digit buyer speed figure. So look at that, um, gives you an idea of who the best contenders are. And you also might be able to find um, a couple of long shots here. Eli Hershkovich posted the final fractions theory for the Kentucky Derby, looking at which horses were running the fastest 
in the final eighth of a mile of their last prep race because all of these horses will be running the farthest they've ever run in the Kentucky Derby. So we want to know which horses were coming on strong at the end of their last prep race. That's a nice way to maybe find some horses that are long shots or being ignored by the betting public come the first Saturday in May. But uh, long story short, come race week, we'll have a, an in-depth podcast on, on the entire Kentucky Derby field. We will have profiles of every single horse that is running in the Kentucky Derby as well on the lines.com. Guys, the NBA playoffs are in full effect here. And we're not going to talk individual games because we don't know when you're going to be either watching this or listening to this or anything like that. So we won't get into that. Head over to the lines, head over to uh, the YouTube channel, which, by the way, uh, absolutely crushing it. The Coast to Coast guys over there as well, um, breaking down all the games, all the props and things like that. But from a macro level, though, here, Stephen, what we have seen is the series that everybody was anticipating the most, the Nets and the Celtics lived up to the hype, at least in game one, uh, a fantastic finish, buzzer beater layup. The Bucks went in and handled the Bulls as kind of everyone thought, although the Bulls did put up a, a little bit more of a, of a fight here. More than anything, though, is sitting here and trying to figure out which one of these teams is going to be the most dominant? Because as we sit here recording this thing on Sat on Wednesday morning, the Suns play the entire second half without Devin Booker against the Pelicans because Devin Booker had a hamstring injury. Everybody thought the Suns by far the best team in the NBA, and rightfully so because they were and they are whenever they're fully healthy. That said, what does this change? Again, we don't know the full diagnosis as we record this, but I do want to at least put this together. How does your mindset change? What changes for you in all of this? If this is a an actual hamstring thing here with Devin Booker and this Suns team, how do you view now the NBA just in general as far as kind of a power ranking standpoint? Well, in the Western Conference, they are not the even money favorites that they were coming mm -hmm. into the postseason, if that is the case. In fact, we've already seen a bit of a market move here to win the West. Uh, combine that Booker situation with just how dominant and impressive the Golden State Warriors have looked. And we're looking at a situation now where the Suns have slipped to around plus 120 to plus 130, depending where you shop. And the Warriors yeah. are inside two to one to win the West. So that tells me it's closer to a coin flip now between those two teams on who's going to win the Western Conference if Devin Booker is not 100 percent. And I think that's accurate. Um, mm -hmm. I do, too. Uh, yeah. And in the Eastern Conference, um, it's it's been the Bucks for me all along. Now, I did I did bet the Heat to win the Eastern Conference before the postseason started, mm -hmm. but that was more just trying to lock in some value on the fact that the other three teams at the top of the board were all on the same side of the bracket in the Eastern Conference. So literally only one of those three would be able to get to the final leg of that East Eastern Conference future to what, in my opinion, face the Miami Heat. Because as impressive as the Sixers have looked against the Toronto Raptors, I still think that the Heat would be... Um, you know, a respected mm. favorite in that series against Philadelphia and give them more issues than Toronto uh, it currently is. So um, I did take that value with the option to hedge once if the Heat get to the Eastern Conference uh, finals. But my opinion hasn't changed that I I thought it was the Suns and the Bucks coming into the postseason. Now, maybe it's the Suns and the Warriors. And that's where I'm at. Yeah, I would put in. I'm sorry, the Bucks uh, and Warriors, I, maybe. 
I, I already did, but I would still put in if I was if I was watching this or listening to this, I would still put in a Western Conference ticket on the Warriors because again, that number as we get it right now is going to be much bigger than we're gonna get it if anything official gets announced with Devin Booker. And here's the thing about having that ticket. Even if Devin Booker does come back or is able to play and able to play it, whatever, he's not going to be 100%, Stephen. We know that because he sat out the entire second half in a game in which it was tight at halftime. This wasn't like one of those deals to where he sat out the second half because they were up 12 at halftime and then ended up losing the game. It's right. not, it, no, this was a tightly, highly contested game in which he did not play in the second half because the hamstring was bothering him enough to where he didn't play. So if we get anything official about him being out for X amount of time or whatever it's going to be, that Warriors number is not going to be as big as it is today is all I can say. So I would put a, a Warriors Western Conference ticket in my account, I did it immediately last night after I saw whenever they whenever they said during the broadcast that, that Devin Booker was ruled out for the rest of the game. I immediately went and put a Warriors uh, Western Conference ticket in, in the account um, because that Suns team without Booker is just not the same. And I'll admit I was a little hesitant about the Warriors being able to after only playing 11 minutes on court together over the last two years. I was a little hesitant that they were just going to be able to fall right back into exactly the Warriors that we knew of old. Well, I'm an idiot because they are and they did and they have looked exactly as good as they have in past. And so with that, Stephen, just um, I, I actually think I'm, I'm leaning towards the Warriors in the West right now, given everything that we know here on a Wednesday morning. Yeah, wasn't really banking on Jordan Poole turning into Kevin Durant in yeah, the Warriors yeah. dynasty, to be honest with you. I mean, goodness gracious, 30 and 29 points in games one and two, five of seven from three, five of 10 from three. Guy's been incredible. Had eight assists in game two. So to make that's now a three headed shooting monster out there. And mm -hmm. I saw somebody make this point on Twitter, which I thought, you know, dad joke, but uh, give it make it the Splash Brothers who add a guy to their their mix with the last name Pool, right? Uh, which is like, come on, man. Like, how, do you, how does that happen? But along those lines. So obviously Warriors on the on the other side of the bracket with the Suns, we thought the Suns would coast to the conference finals. Mm -hmm. Does this put any seed in your head now if Booker's out for an extended period of time? We don't know that right now. So, right. you know, we could change our opinions on this. But does this open up that side of the bracket? for you to maybe try and figure out who's going to win this jazz maverick series and maybe take a take a spin on them to win the right. west with the intention of hedging if they get to the west finals after beating an injured suns team in the second round of the playoffs it, it, it is certainly a it's certainly something i'll dig into further because i think it's a a, a good way to go about it because we have to start thinking of this differently now because where we were like there was only one team that was head and shoulders above everyone else maybe the Warriors kind of in that second tier. Well, now tier those now, tiers yeah. have started to blend. Yeah, those tiers have started to blend, and now we've got to figure out here um, how to go about this, but definitely some interesting stuff. And guys, start thinking about that. as a, It's a different a different way to go about betting all of this, right, is, is you don't have to only bet 
game to game or you don't only have to bet series prices before the series starts like all of this stuff dy- dynamically changes right like uh, the the winners of the conferences the winners of the series the uh, you know how many games it's going to take and this you know, that they're all updating constantly so just because a series started doesn't mean you can't get in there and continue to to bet it from an aspect like that so just uh, keep that in your mind as well Stephen, let's close things out with Major League Baseball. It is still early on in the season, but I was wondering, one, if you have have any over, you know, air quote, overreactions here of the short season. Is there anything that you have seen that has changed your mind on a team, on a player, on any sort of anything like that as we are, you know, again, a fraction about, you know, about 11 games into the season right now? Well, I'll start with the team I follow closest, and it's my Philadelphia Phillies. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I'll mention them as well just because of all the hype and all the storylines about them coming into the season with such a loaded lineup. And uh, I agreed with our senior writer, Mo Nawara's pre or spring training assessment of the Phillies that they might have the best lineup in baseball and the absolute worst defense in baseball. And and that's they've they've won games with eight runs and three errors so far this season. There there have been situations like that. So, um, I think they have holes in their starting pitching beyond Zach Wheeler. I don't think Aaron Nola is looking anywhere like the pitcher that we thought uh, he was going to be a couple of years ago. So, I mean, that's that is a an overs team for sure for the Philadelphia Phillies. And I think that um, the recent series they had against the Miami Marlins showed the flaws that they have on that roster where they don't have good deep pitching with their rotation and bullpen and they don't have good defense either. So. Um, that's a team I'm kind of downgrading a little bit, but other than that, I mean, it's, it's status quo at the moment for me. Mm-hmm. I know you and I were talking about Garrett Cole coming into this podcast. And I think that's an interesting situation where, um, you know, he's, he still is not the same pitcher he was before the sticky stuff scandal last year. Yeah. So that, that's another guy that you could potentially look to fade here, uh, in the early well, season. That's kind of where I was going with with my take here is I think the American League Cy Young is wide, 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 mm-hmm. wide open. And so I would not be afraid to get a couple of these long shot tickets in my account in the in the case that, hey, look, you know, this thing just gets completely wacky because, again, Garrett Cole comes in the odds on favorite by a long shot. He's now already slipped to nine to one. Uh, where he was down at like four and a half to one, five to one. He has already slipped to nine to one, could continue to slip. The guy's had one quality start in his last nine starts. I mean, like there's just, he's not finding it. He's not going to be that guy. And so you start to go down the board a little bit. And like, you know, I understand. Is it, is it likely to happen? No, but getting a 30 to one on Luis Severino, who looks like he kind of found his stuff here, you know, getting a 30, 30 to one ticket in my account on a guy like him. You look at a guy who, if he's able to come back, I mean, like uh, Lucas Giolito has had to miss a, a couple of starts here because of an oblique thing. But if he's able to come back, I don't think missing a couple of starts would disqualify him. He's down at 15 to one now where he was way shorter than that early on. But the the injury kind of knocked him down as well. But the, the AL Cy Young to me 
completely wide open. And of course, with no DeGrom on the NL side, that thing is blown wide open as well. If you watch my video from back, I, I said, hey, get a Rodon ticket in your account. Go get one, some uh, a Woodruff ticket in your account. Now Woodruff down to 20, Rodon down to 10 to one to, to win the Cy Young. I still think, you know, from a from a perspective in the on the NL side of things as well. Yeah, Scherzer's look good early. Could that go away? I mean, he's old, right? I mean, he could get hurt. Things could go downhill for him as well. So I think both of these Cy Young deals, I'm going to start having, I think this is going to be interesting because you and I are going to be doing this podcast all summer long. I might end up with five, six, seven, 30 plus to one tickets in my account on, uh, on these Cy Young deals or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And just, and just kind of almost, you know, for lack of a better term, live trade, you know, these guys and, and stuff like that, because I, I honestly believe that both of these Cy Young markets are completely, completely, completely up in the air this year. For sure. I, I completely agree with you. I have tended to add Cy Young around, you know, June is tip, typically when mm-hmm. I go to add. I only bet one Cy Young spring training. It was Trevor Rogers, who was just gave up seven runs of the Phillies in the second <laughs> part. So uh, I'm glad I didn't go too deep into that market to start the year. Uh, but I I agree with you. The the guys that were on the top of the market here are are, are slipping um, in the early going. That's going to create value for somebody. I, I just think it's a little too early for me to start adding at this point. And maybe I sacrifice yeah. some some odds and some value by waiting, but at least I'll have a little bit bigger of a sample size of of who's doing the best. Um, the one guy that is interesting to me and, you know, don't hold me to this because I haven't added it to my account, but I think Kevin Gossman has looked pretty impressive in the early going. And I'm trying to remember here. Uh, this is a guy in, in recent years who was, who was pretty darn good, wasn't he? I mean, um, pulling up his stats now from from well, last year years. was a career year for him over in uh, over in San Francisco, right? Two eight one ERA, one oh four WHIP. Um, he's had a couple of solid starts in Toronto to start the year. So um, even the year before that, in twenty twenty, the shortened season, three point six two ERA. So I think he's around twenty five to one right now. Um, he's interesting to me to be, you know, and this doesn't matter too much in baseball because the the voters are pretty mm-hmm. good about looking at analytics and not caring about a team's record. But if the Blue Jays are a you know a contender at the top, it certainly wouldn't hurt. Um, and the other thing I'll mention too here, the MVP market in the AL is pretty top heavy to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I had in my eye on Byron Buxton coming into the season. If he would stay healthy, you can still find a 20 to one on him. I mean, this is a guy that could, you know, hit 40 homers and steal 20 bases. So um, Vladimir Guerrero obviously is probably the favorite in my mind right now ahead of Otani and what he did last year. And the fact that Guerrero is still a second choice behind Otani at this juncture is interesting to me. I know we're only a couple weeks in, but that's interesting. Uh, So maybe there's still some value on Vlad. I expect him to be at the top of the market barring injury the entire season. But that Buxton number at 20 to one is interesting to me as well. Over on the NL side, I did at least want to point this out. I think I'm going to tuck one in today. Just have it in there. Forget about it and move on. But uh, Ronald Acuna Jr. did start his rehab assignment in AAA for the Braves. This is a guy who would have been probably three to one to win the MVP, but because of the injury, you can find him at eight to one 
right now to win the MVP if you go to steamer projections, even in 126 games. So he's he's projected to be back before that, but they have him even in 126 games. They have him with 36 home runs, 105 runs scored, 84 RBI, and, and 25 plus stolen bases in 126 games for Acuna. So he can put up MVP type numbers without having to play 150, 145 games and stuff like that. And so again, an eight to one, tuck it away, eight to one on a Ronald Acuna, top five player in all of Major League Baseball. I think that that's at least something I'm. Pro- I might just put in the account, walk away, and uh, forget about it, and and we'll see what happens towards the end of the season. But again, he, he did start his rehab assignment. He looks to be on track for that early May, um, for that early May debut there for the Braves. And uh, again, he can put up a lot of numbers fast. He can put up big numbers fast. And so, uh, Ronald Acuna at eight to one, I think, is at least interesting to me. The last guy I'll mention on that side is one that was interesting to me last year because he was traded in the middle of the season, still for reasons unknown. I don't know what the hell the plan was by the Washington Nationals to trade a good young player like Trey Turner, but he was right up there in total war, in fact, ahead of Bryce Harper. Um, but for whatever reason, voters don't like voting for MVP on a guy that's been traded. It's never happened in the history of baseball. So now that he's going to be on the Dodgers for the full season, if he's going to put these war numbers up that were ahead of the other MVP finalists last year, like Bryce Harper and Juan Soto, and I know Tatis got hurt, but you know it was Harper and Soto at the end last year. And Turner was actually even better in terms of war. He just got traded. And we're getting, I think, like 12 to 1 on him right now to win MVP. That's interesting to me as well, as long as he stays healthy. Guys, everything we talk about, you can find some way, shape, or form over on the lines. And most likely, you'll find multiple ways over on the lines.com. So be sure and head over there and get in on all of that and take in all of the awesome articles and stuff that's getting done. Again, if you're watching this on YouTube, go ahead, hit that subscribe button. Really do appreciate it. If you're not, if you're just listening to this audio version, head over to the YouTube channel. You can find the button to get there right on the homepage of, of the lines, head over to the YouTube channel. Awesome, awesome content going up on a daily basis over there. Take you through the rest of NBA playoffs into major league baseball. We're going to be talking in depth about the draft. We're going to be talking in depth about all of the major golf tournaments. We're going to be talking in depth about the Kentucky Derby. So uh, be sure and, and be subscribed over there as well. So you get the notifications every time something goes live. Cause it is a, it is a very valuable resource as is the new discord as well, where not only can you get, get a good information, but you can enter contests to win free money, absolutely free just by being involved in the community over there. So yes, use your sports knowledge to win free money from us, courtesy of the lines.com over there. So be sure and do that as well. If you want to follow Steven on the Twitter machine at Steven Andrus one, you want to follow me at Matt Brown M two guys. Good luck on all your bets. Bet basketball, baseball, or hockey with a risk-free bet up to $600 at BetMGM. Sign up and use bonus code THELINES and you're on your way with the king of sportsbooks. Get the BetMGM app today and use promo code THELINES to make a risk-free bet up to $600. This is a new customer offer. Paid in free bets. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years or older to wager. Colorado, Indiana, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Nevada, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia only. Excludes Michigan disassociated persons. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem. Call one 800 
522-4700 in Colorado, Nevada, and Virginia. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia. And 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. In Tennessee, call or text the red line at 800-889-9789. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. Promotional offer not available in Nevada. 